The sound of chessmen tumbling from an old cigar box. Before the game begins, a certain ritual must be practiced. A representative pawn from white and black concealed beneath the table in each fist before being offered for selection. Allegiances thus determined, the men take their places quickly on alternating light and dark squares, forming ranks on either side of the board. Steam rises from mugs of coffee. Pawns and knights advance to seize control of the center. Bishops find their long diagonals like snipers ready to fire from concealment. A nearby conversation and banal music from the speakers in the ceiling conspire to ruin our concentration. Other cafe patrons pass by, curious, pausing at our table to observe a few moments of the game in respectful silence. There are no social barriers to this observation, no mores or obligations to privacy. We might at that moment be in any country with any language being spoken around us. We might not even be able to communicate with our observers beyond a respectful nod, but they would know the game and might even sit in our opponent's seat for the next round, playing by those same rules known round the world and conceding the game with the same friendly handshake and smile. This is either the hallmark of civilization or the vestige of a code we once shared, as mysterious to us now as the very origins of chess itself, when combat was entered into by rules and by honor, and when a king was a thing worth dying to protect. The middle game becomes tense. The files are loaded with rooks and queens. Any pawn move might set off a wholesale slaughter. A few witticisms and self-deprecations are voiced, mostly to alleviate the anxiety of decision. One of us passes his hand through his hair at the offer of a significant exchange. Tactics are employed. Strategy, for one of us at least, is finally realized in the endgame, a pawn approaching the eighth rank, unstoppable, its promotion the death knell of the resistance. We practice the inevitable resignation and congratulations, and then the conversation resumes, the men abandoned in that tableau between us like the aftermath of a Greek tragedy, the king resigned to his corner, and the captured men standing by the board as mere onlookers, forlorn and useless. These mute chessmen are privy to all our discussions. These are the chessmen through which spiders have crawled on camping trips and through which pipe smoke has been blown in billows like fog on a battlefield. This board has become, for Justin and I, not just a venue in which to match our wits, but a meeting place and a metaphor for the dire engagement that is life. Although we have spent countless hours at this ancient game, we can never exhaust it. We have not played this exact sequence of moves before, and we will never play it again. On this board of only 64 squares, there exist more possible games than there are atoms in the known universe. Here, in beguiling simplicity, we have reduced the world and its history of conflict to 32 pieces warring on 32 dark squares and 32 light.
We move them, seemingly at a whim, defying the comprehension of mathematicians and computers alike to quantify the unquantifiable. But we are merely playing at being gods. In the words of the Rubiyats of Omar Khayyam, "'Tis all a checkerboard of nights and days, where destiny with men for pieces plays. Hither and thither moves and mates and slays, and one by one back in the cabinet lays. This is episode 20 of the Notion Club podcast. talking today about the game of chess and the significance it's had for us in our own development and our own thoughts and friendship. It was actually chess that we really first began meeting and playing games of chess. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always been there, sort of like we needed an excuse between us to sit <laughs> at, to sit at, a, like men have to be doing something, right? So you gotta, if you're gonna sit at a cafe, you gotta have the chess board out. And it's actually been funny over the years to see the sort of responses we've got from just having a chessboard set up on a table. I mentioned this in the intro, but it really is interesting that people will just approach you. Most people wouldn't come up to you and say, hey, that that's a cool book you're reading. I read that once. Mm-hmm. I used to read books. I wish I read books. <laughs> I wish I still had time to read books. But they'll do that about chess. Yep. Almost invariably, someone will stop by the table and, and just watch as, as though there were a little soccer game going on or something, which is really right. interesting. Or, or they'll stop by and, and we might say, do you play chess? And, yeah. and sometimes they'll say, no, but my son does. Right. <laughs> so it's like, even if they themselves aren't players, there is that connection. And we've even invited people to play and they've sat down, we played games and yep. you talk to them. I mean, yep. it's a very social thing. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the history of chess, it really exploded in Europe right about the same time that coffee shops yeah. and Voltaire and philosophy <laughs> and all that social coming the together penny around universities. <laughs> yeah, coming together around coffee really is what promoted it in Europe. Maybe we could give our listeners sort of a crash history of chess. A lot mm-hmm. of people probably don't realize how ancient a game this is. This is not something that Milton Bradley invented and. <laughs> 1954 this this has been around for a while probably since the 6th century AD is about the first references we we start getting these references to chess in some early literature after the Islamic conquest of Persia chess really starts to spread throughout that region and that's it goes apparently began in India although it's very shrouded in ancient history but there is a, a single existing chess piece that appears 
appears to be maybe the oldest ever discovered from India. And it was, you know, a depiction of like a king riding an elephant or something like that. And so we know very little about its development, except we know that there were similar games that were played by casting die. So you didn't really have that sense of choosing your own gameplay. You just tossed the die and that determined how many squares you could move or that sort of thing. And chess was really born when someone had the idea that what if I just decided what I wanted to do and used strategy, like warfare strategy, to develop it? Mm. And that was actually the, the sorts of pieces it initially had were apparently like elephants and chariots and <laughs> foot soldiers. And was, this is a war game. So that developed. And actually, it didn't take too long for chess to really become recognizable for what we have today. By the by the 1400s, chess was basically the same as it is today with a mm. few minor changes and uh, rules up until maybe the 18... It's really in the mid-1800s. I don't think much of anything has changed since then. So mm-hmm. nearly 200 years unchanged and centuries of evolution and development to get the game we have today Mm -hmm. but an incredibly ancient game and of course chess theory has developed considerably in the past century absolutely and strategy and it's interesting just to see the way people play changing over the years based on their thoughts about warfare Mm -hmm. there's a hyper modern school of chess strategy that developed after world war one before world war two in which the center of the board was treated much like no man's land in trench warfare where it was like you didn't want to put men out there Mm -hmm. you wanted to control it from a distance with more powerful pieces just like machine gun warfare across (laughs) no man's land and it's very interesting i wonder if that has something to do with it there's there's also of course the chess queen Mm-hmm. which wasn't developed until chess reached Europe and in Spain, I believe it was, some of those early powerful queens that, that gave rise to this idea that the piece that previously was the king's right-hand man, or they called it the vizier, now was going to become the queen. And so that was a, that was how you know the tail sort of wagged the dog with this thing, mm-hmm. and society gave it a familiar spin. Probably the most startling thing about chess is that there are more possible chess games Mm -hmm. than atoms in the known universe. Yeah, I mean, mathematicians have just about exhausted themselves trying to calculate how many possible games could be played. Mm -hmm. And the number of possible games is greater than the number of atoms in the known universe. But they're not all reasonable games. So with legal moves and all that sort of, like you'd actually play like a real game. But that number, the, the number of reasonable games of chess is still, I think, I think it was greater than the number of sand grains in the world or something like that. Mm. I mean, it's still such a mind-blowing number. Right. You're never going to play the same game twice. And that's what's so fascinating about chess is Mm -hmm. it's never the same. It is. I mean, with most board games, there's obviously differences, but it's, I mean, it's pretty much the same gameplay. How many times can you play Monopoly before you you just wish you were dead? (laughs) I mean, we all had that moment as a kid. (laughs) Not not even once. (laughs) Depending on who your opponents are. Half half a game, maybe. (laughs) Depending on whether or not you get boardwalked that first time, you're either hooked or you're repelled for life. If you can make it through the first four hours, then you're... (laughs) You're good. But that's the fascinating thing about chess is that you can you can play this as an amateur and be happy. You know, as long as you have good amateur opponents, you mm-hmm. can play 
for the rest of your life and never take it all that seriously and enjoy it. Or you can be someone like Bobby Fischer and pour yourself, give your life to it, everything you have within your talent and intellect and brain. You can invest and never come to the end of it. Mm -hmm. Never grow tired of it. You might go crazy. There's actually (laughs) a great tradition of people losing their minds because of the intensity of Mm -hmm. chess, but you'll never come to the end of it. And then there's something about that infinity being located within a seemingly finite thing. You know, there's only, there's only 32 pieces Mm -hmm. and there's only 64 squares, but anything can happen on that, in that space. And it makes me think of C.S. Lewis talking about Narnia, the inside being bigger than the outside, the vision, I think it was, of the the garden on the hill and that sort of thing. It's such a great symbol of that too, because it's hard to conceptualize that concept, an infinite inside and then a finite outside. Right. But there's something about, you know, I mean, if you look at a board and you can, you can see everything on the board in right. one glance, Right. but there's an infinite universe within there's no unknown information which is really in, in terms of talking about game theory and that's what, like when you play poker there's a lot of unknown information what's the next card mm-hmm. what's in the deck what's the order but with chess it's all there it's all just laid right out for you and yet you can sit there and stare at it hours and hours on end yeah. visualizing pot and i think that's what makes it so good for our brains Mm-hmm. is that somehow that process of being forced to visualize, to imagine, to strategize, to think. There's no need to even try to establish. It's good. We all know it's good for our brains mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of modern games simply are not. I've never really wanted to categorize it as a board game because that doesn't right. seem to like do it a, justice. Right. It, it seems to reduce what it is because mm-hmm. it's almost between the categories of game and art. Right. It's actually, a lot of countries have actually categorized chess as a sport because there is a sportsmanship to it in the same way that fencing is, you know, an, a warfare art, but it's something more than that. Chess is also a war game, but it's something more than that. One of the chess masters from the 20th century, uh, Ruben Fine, wrote an article called Chess and Music, where he talked about chess as an art, uh, not just as a game. But he also talks about music as a game and not just as an art. Hmm. He begins this article with a, with a quote, I think one reason why chess appeals so much to musicians, writes Misha Elman, who was a famous violinist in the 20th century, is that playing it is like composing. And to the pleasure of creating your own harmonies, there is added the excitement of a struggle. Playing chess is like composing, or to rephrase it in a chess player's language, both chess and music are games. Both are creations of the imagination, satisfying self-expression, productive play. Both belong among the activities which make life really worthwhile. It may seem strange to call music a game, yet it has the essential characteristics. A set of more or less arbitrary rules which we adhere to, but may change if we wish. And it is played for its own sake, for no irrelevant secondary motive. As games, chess and music have much in common. Both are all-absorbing mental pursuits. Both can be played for hours, sometimes days on end, and the novelty and enjoyment never cease. Neither has any connection with the daily life of the average person. 
both are ideal forms of relaxation. There is, of course, one obvious difference. Chess has a specific purpose, to win the game, while music does not. It is this which adds the excitement of the struggle and forms one of the charms of chess, but it also means that where the element of struggle is absent because of great disparity in strength, the game loses much of its meaning. Mm. While there is no fight in music, at least not officially, the constant desire for novelty operates in much the same way as struggle in chess. Just as we do not ordinarily think of music as a game, it is not usual to look upon chess as an art. Yet chess is an art, it is this which chiefly distinguishes it from other games. Chess masterpieces are recorded and preserved, often carefully analyzed. The level of chess ability has risen so markedly that games played before about 1895 have little appeal today, but thousands of games produced since then have been kept and are reenacted by devotees with as much enthusiasm as the music lover who turns to his records. Though music is a major art and chess is only a minor art, the aesthetic problems involved are often similar. In both, the most far-reaching attraction lies in doing, regardless of how well or badly, from an expert's point of view, it is done. In chess, this holds even more widely than in music, largely because a certain amount of technical knowledge is needed to appreciate great chess. The artistic pleasure of the performer is often affected by extraneous considerations. Too frequently, he has to practice for endless hours, he worries about what his critics will say, or is strongly influenced by the reaction of the audience. No wonder that the musician in his idle hours turns to chess and the chess master to music. It's interesting that both chess and music have notation. Some people may not know this, but a lot of times people playing chess will... When you're studying chess and you're trying to really improve as a player, you'll write down your moves, you mm -hmm. record your games. I used to do this, and I had a little notebook, and I would record all my games. It's like the height of geeky, chess, <laughs> geeking out as a chess student as you write down your moves, and later you can replay the game, watch mm -hmm. it, study it, figure out where it went wrong, yep. but there is a real notation for that. It's one of the most fascinating observations about the similarities between chess and music, that music is actually... In a lot of senses like a game you know mm -hmm. like when you're involved in music i think that says a lot more about chess than it does music hmm. just in terms of what the kind of game chess is that it has so many similarities with an art like music mm -hmm. it's interesting he's ruben fine says that the main difference between music and chess is that music doesn't have the point to win the game mm -hmm. it doesn't have the struggle and actually that's not from a theoretical point of view that's not actually true because isn't the struggle perfection i mean isn't, well, isn't that the struggle well i guess to he... overcome innate human weakness to achieve something perfect i mean i would think from yeah. my seventh <laughs> yeah. from yeah, my but, struggle with the piano sure. well, I, yeah, there was and... a fight with the piano when i was growing <laughs> yeah. up for sure <laughs> yeah and i think he he sort of references that kind of overcoming human weakness when he says novelty is kind of the struggle 
the struggle mm. but from a compositional point of view to create something new okay. but there's actually a musical struggle in tonal music because it's the idea that you start mm. this is how all tonal music is constructed you start with one key like c major and mm. then classic sonata form and the development you go to all these other keys and the dissonance you have actual mm. dissonance that is sonically struggling against that like a, tonal thes- a thesis and antithesis exactly, in, yeah. in every piece of music yeah and the way forms are structured the reason why it's tonal music is you always return to that final that mm-hmm. home key it resolves it resolves yeah, yeah. and you have the one key that is triumphant so it's that is the inherent drama of music interesting. Very interesting. which is why in the 20th century where composers try to flatten the landscape with atonal or pantonal music where mm-hmm. You know, every pitch in the 12 tone series is just equal. It's like a musical Marxism, like right. musical egalitarianism. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Then you, don't, you don't have that at least harmonic tension. It's just all a level playing field. We've but, seen that in the in sports too, right? Mm-hmm. With everybody gets a trophy and yep. sort of minimizing the actual victory. But uh-huh. we haven't, I don't think that's happened to chess yet, thankfully. Well, it's not possible with chess. <laughs> I mean, well, okay, actually, I, in, in chess tournaments when I was seven and eight, <laughs> everybody got participation trophies, right? right? <laughs> Probably was no clear winner. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, my sister is still really good, but used to be fiendishly good at chess. Oh, um, I remember this. And <laughs> I think one at the state level um, yeah. didn't go beyond that. Um, mostly because she went the music route instead of the chess route there were two but, paths diverged in a wood and <laughs> rachel chose the musical <laughs> path instead of the chess prodigy but path. so the, the way these tournaments would work is you would have you know your names would be listed next to your opponent uh-huh. and so we would go to the list they would post it on the wall and everybody would crowd around to see who their next game was going to be with right and you know these boys who were from opposite teams so <laughs> These were all the regional schools would see that they were paired with Rachel Hall and they would just burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. How old was she at that time? 10 to 12. Yeah. Do you remember how old you were when you learned to play? Probably. I mean, I probably started learning when I was four or five Mm -hmm. just because we ran a chess club. Yeah. Your dad was really into chess. Um, and and so it, it was either just we we met in a library after hours and okay. so it was nice. wandering through the bookshelves or playing chess so nice. yeah i think i was seven or eight before i really remember playing games mm-hmm. of chess mm-hmm. you know and i remember we had this one of the old renaissance chess sets that was made by es low company and, and they were figural pieces with real knights on horseback and the rooks were towers and the pawns were little soldiers with shields and that that to me was i was probably almost as interested in the pieces yeah but i i had this set that i loved and i remember i had one of my little friends from (laughs) third grade i think it was third third grade so however old maybe seven and uh her family came over for dinner and we were playing chess afterwards and she turned all her pieces around (laughs) to face her so i was looking at their backs and she's like i just i want to see their faces and that was (laughs) Yeah, so I'm at this really fun stage with my kids now. My son is five, and I'm teaching him how to play chess, and we're learning, you know, where the pieces go. And he's mm-hmm. got a little Usborne book 
that shows, you know, it teaches you how to play chess and shows the, the board set up. And so he can look at that picture of the pieces set up and then set up the board. And then we're working with how pawns move. And there's a lot, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot to remember. There's a lot that goes into this game. How does this piece move? And, oh, by the way, there's this rule and that rule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you do this, you can't do that. And if you castle queenside, you can't. And so it's it's a process. But just keeping it fun for them. Getting the board out, you know, we'll have like a figure we have five, maybe ten minutes if I'm lucky of really interesting, you know, learning and then it's over. Yeah, and we just yeah. keep it fun and then I put it away. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, just growing up with the pieces is uh, really a way to build significance in your kid's mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just lots of very pleasant hours spent playing chess and you know people meet in parks and play chess and you play with people join chess clubs and play i mean it's a social thing and that's another whole level of chess there's so many different aspects of there's tournament chess where things are timed and you know you can run out of time lose the game because you just spent too much time thinking about Mm -hmm. what you're going to do there's speed chess there's variants on chess we actually invented our own chess variant Call it split brain. Split brain chess, where we just essentially drew a line it's down. It's kind of like bug house, but on one board. Yeah, we just kind of divided the, the board in half along the file mm-hmm. and then split the pieces. So you have half white and half black on one side and half black. And so you're playing in those narrow corridors. Mm-hmm. So you only have four squares on either side of yeah. the board. Yeah. And if you capture a piece, you can drop it into the the other half. The other half. So you have these two independent games going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it can make you feel crazy. Well, the fun part is playing that in public. And and so when the observers come up, they look at the board and think, these people have no idea what they're doing. doing. (laughs) But it's a really interesting dynamic because you have to win both sides to win. But if you... You just draw if you you win on both. Right. And so you have to balance, Mm -hmm. which is different than Bug House, which is similar just with separate boards. Right. Because if one person wins, then that team wins completely. Right, right. So you have to balance in your strategy, making the right sacrifices in a balanced way so you can actually win on both teams. Yeah, that's that's really the only variant I've ever really played much of. Yeah, and yep. I'm not a huge. I mean, the th- I mean, you can you never. It's not like you need the variants. Yeah, right, it's just yeah. it, it's an interesting thing, but yeah. it's by no means necessary because chess itself is so complex and rich. It's a really interesting game because it has a narrative structure. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it is a drama that unfolds, yeah. and you have the beginning, the middle, and the end, you know? And the middle is exactly what a middle chapter should be. Mm-hmm. You know, it, There's a development. Yep, and, then there's, and a, there's a resolution. And there's all the, the conflict and right. the confusion, especially in a very clustered middle game where... Right, it's chaotic. chaotic Just like yeah. when two armies approach, they approach on a field of battle, mm-hmm. and there's the, you know, you put your foot soldiers out front. Maybe they're covered by archers, but, you know, they're the ones pushing the line forward, just like the pawns. Yep. Just like the knight can come in suddenly, the cavalry can come sweeping in unexpectedly. Or or you could have very different characters to the games. Uh-huh. Like you can have a game that is pretty civil through the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it, and, and come sudden, to almost a diplomatic uh-huh. end, you know. Yeah. Or you can have especially when you have kings that castle on opposite sides, right. it's just a bloodbath. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You get those long diagonals and attacks and yeah, it can be over quickly or it can be drawn out, a bitter standoff with a close 
closed center, mm-hmm. a sea, almost like a siege mentality. <laughs> There's so many different ways it can go. It's interesting too how one of the rules of chess that changed in, I think in medieval times, you had to capture all your opponent's pieces, mm-hmm. basically wipe them out, you know. And now, of course, you just have to place the king under a threat that he can't, you know, he can't respond to, which we call checkmate. It's interesting as a as a symbol of everything that is involved with it, you know, as a mm-hmm. symbol of dialectic, mm-hmm. as a symbol of intelligence and just society and fellowship, you know. It doesn't have much role, as far as I can tell, in literature, but it has a really, I mean, it's fairly ubiquitous in cinema. Right. The Seventh Seal is all about a chess game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have shorts like Jerry's Game by Pixar. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah it's a brilliant yeah. short. Yeah, it's a fun and one. they're using the dynamics of chess to accentuate the humor of this man. It's, it's almost like a satire. Yeah. A satire, and that's another thing. There's a lot of humor in chess mm-hmm. as well. You know, surprise, surprise, and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Probably one of the most famous references in literature to chess is actually from Adventures of yeah. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, right. You get the chess pieces animated and you know personified as characters. Right. There's a, a chess game in the first Harry Potter book, mm-hmm. Wizard's Chess, where right. the, move, the the pieces move on their own. You you actually say the notation. Mm-hmm. You speak the notation like an incantation. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then the pieces move on their own and smash the other pieces. Nice. And at the end of the book, of course, there is a giant life-sized chess board and they play a real game where you know your life, life is actually yeah right. right but yeah the pieces are beautiful and it, it probably appears in movies so much one of the reasons is just because it's a great excuse to get characters together to talk and mm-hmm. it's a focal point and you know it just it looks really good and in, in, on a movie the design of the game is aesthetically remarkably beautiful because you have perfect symmetry mm-hmm. and then the tension between that symmetry Mm-hmm. And then finally the resolution, which is simplicity. I mean, it's probably that wasn't the goal when the game was invented, but right. that's just how it developed over time. There's a couple of books I can definitely recommend on the history of chess and even chess pieces itself. There's a really interesting book called Masterpieces by Garrett Williams, where he talks about the development of chess pieces and the history of chess, and there's a lot of anecdotes about uh, chess in cinema and chess in literature, and that's chess in popular culture. Really, really interesting book. This is from a, a book that's actually out of print called Chess Sets by F. Lanier Graham, but he also has a lot of really interesting pictures and uh, talks about the development of chess and uh, the philosophy behind it. This was an interesting quote from the book. He says that the chess piece is primarily an articulated image of invested power. Interesting. So it becomes like not just a playing piece, not just a toy. It's not not just a symbol, Mm -hmm. but it's a symbol of invested power. I think the closest thing you could come to it would be like a war game, like Axis and Allies or something. We have a little little bitty tank, mm-hmm. and it, but it's, it represents an army. Yeah, you know, it's right. a symbol of, it's invest, there's power invested in that piece. Mm-hmm. And so if you were going to develop a war game, like this is just how it would naturally develop. It'd be like, okay, this, this little carved elephant represents my king or my foot soldiers. And you'd have mm-hmm. to come up with a stand-in for that. I think because of men need and, and have to have something to be friends about, you know, fierce, warlike Muslim <laughs> invaders 
<laughs> are not just going to sit in a tent drinking, you know, like chai tea and chatting about their feelings. Look, but they'll sit there drinking chai tea and playing chess, right, for hours on end. And to this day, like we still need, we still need something to gather around. You know, like men go fishing together, they go hunting together, mm-hmm. and gathering around a chessboard is somehow just more. It's like a, it's a war game. You know, mm-hmm. I like this, but representative combat. You know, maybe that's an outlet for us to practice war, just like Mm -hmm. fencing or karate or football. You know, we have these outlets that are useful Mm -hmm. to to practice war. And it almost, it's fascinating to me that war is not ideal. You know, when you really start to think about how much of our culture is based around warfare and war gaming and strategy and it's like if you think back long enough and go back far enough this is not normal <laughs> this is actually not even good yeah, yeah but so much there has been goodness built around it which mm-hmm. is inter- like valor proving valor right strategy proving it's, it's more using... about your posture and mm-hmm. the midst of a conflict rather yeah. than the conflict itself it's a proving ground yeah. not just for intelligence but for you know, there's qualities that emerge in chess. Are you? Well, and the and the the point of chess, in some sense, is to order chaos. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's to mm-hmm. voluntarily step into chaos, the chaos of the middle game, right. and then to use every means of your intellect and your power to cast that into order mm-hmm. and to subdue chaos. Because in some sense, you know, there's no villain in chess. You know, you're both striving for the same end mm-hmm. which is order and it's the order of your king mm-hmm. of one sovereign instead of two yeah benjamin franklin actually wrote an article called the morals of chess in 1750 and here's the introduction to it he said the game of chess is not merely an idle amusement several very valuable qualities of mind useful in the course of human life are to be acquired and strengthened by it so as to become habits ready on all occasions For life is a kind of chess in which we often have points to gain and competitors or adversaries to contend with and in which there is a vast variety of good and ill events that are in some degree the effects of prudence or the want of it. And then he lists various qualities that can be strengthened by playing chess including foresight, circumspection, caution, etc. It's very interesting to see, you know, people deliberately looking to a game to build. I think we do that with other games too. You want, to, you know, if you want your kids to have a certain degree of physical toughness, mm-hmm. and you know, you can put them in football. You can put them in some physical contact sport. So, you know, chess can do that. Like I think maybe a goal of this podcast could just be sort of steering people away from this negative connotation of like chess nerds being <laughs> yeah. just, you know, some sort of useless empty intellectual pursuit mm-hmm. it really does have a lot of connections to real life and a lot of benefit that can be gained by playing it i can't think of a better way to end this episode than to challenge you to play a game of chess <laughs> we've got the pieces right here we got no excuse i think i have uh, some revenge to take from our last <laughs> few games but who's <laughs> counting <laughs>